God-sized. It's a current series that we're in. This will be week three, part three of a series called God-sized. And, um, you know, God is very, very big, but God is also in the, in the details and in the small things. And week one, we, when we talked about God-sized, we talked about having a God-sized dream because God ultimately has a dream for your life. We studied the life of Joseph and how he was 17 years old when God gave him a dream, and it took 22 years to see that dream come to fruition, which tells us a lot about when, when we have dreams for our life and God has given us a big dream that if we dare to dream big, then we also better have the uh, strength to endure because to kind of like see your dream fulfilled, you will have to likely experience many delays But if we change our perspective on the delay to the dream God gave us, we'll realize that sometimes the delay is actually God developing us for the dream itself. That was part one. Last week, we talked about God-sized generosity. And God emphasizes generosity in Scripture to the tune of 2,106 times in Scripture. God, it is mentioned generosity. It's this Hebrew word called tzedakah. It is righteousness and generosity when they're interconnected together that we take action and are generous. 2,106 times. God emphasizes generosity because God is generous. And one of the most common scripture verses in all the world is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he... He so loved the world that he, he gave. And so because our God is generous, he has called us also to be generous people. Freely we receive the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and freely we give. Uh, we talked about now then living with that God-sized generosity in mind. And we said that God-sized generosity, ultimately the reason why God's people are generous is because it is our response to Jesus. We, we have God-sized generosity. It's our response to him. God-sized generosity always gives over and above. God-sized generosity is not always about money. It's not always about money. It's about how you utilize your time. It's how you utilize giving graciously and being merciful, showing forgiveness, showing kindness. It is that it's more than just money, this kind of generosity. We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. And God-sized generosity is also not about an amount. We talked about the widowed woman who gave all she have. So part one, we talked about having a God-sized dream. Last week, we talked about God-sized generosity. And today, I want to talk about God-sized faith. You got to have faith. God-sized faith. And let me tell you a story I read in an article, though... 41 years old, a man named Steve Cunningham, 41, has, had been blind since the age of 12. Uh, his, he had his sights, uh, I'm sorry, he has his sights on setting a new world record. Uh, Steve Cunningham wants to be the first blind person to fly an airplane around the United Kingdom. Cunningham has already been recognized as the world's fastest blind man driving a sports car more than 147 miles per hour in 1999. A year later, he broke the speed record for a blind person 
in charge of a speedboat off the English coast. Cunningham's Piper Warrior is equipped, uh, that's an airplane, uh, is equipped with a, uh, uh, a computer software that translates the data from the instruments into spoken words into his headset. And Cunningham is then updated on the airplane's altitude, position, and speed at the touch of a button. And, and though he has a co-pilot, uh, Cunningham is compl- in complete control of the airplane. The co-pilot is on board to keep a lookout for other aircraft and to make sure that information from the instruments is correct. And he will not be allowed to touch the controls when he's setting the record. Cunningham insists his challenge is not as difficult as one might imagine. I, I imagine it would be quite difficult. He says sighted pilots often fly blind through clouds or at night, and that is true. As a former student pilot myself, there's times when we call it when you're flying in the soup. You can't see out your windshield at all. So he's, he's saying that's why it's actually not that difficult. Uh, so his chore is not too difficult, different from ordinary flying. He says, you don't fly an aircraft on what you see. You fly an aircraft on the information you are getting back from the control panel. A spokesperson told reporters that Cunningham has been training toward the challenge for seven years and was looking forward to setting the new record. So according to Steve Cunningham, acting on information received, not the act of seeing with your eyes, is the key to flying an aircraft. He's saying that flying is not about actually seeing with your eyes it's actually seen by the information, acting on information you have. So when it comes to spiritual things, the ability to ignore what we see, come on somebody, and focus on what we know through faith is the key to walking in faith. Are you seeing this? No pun intended. It's the ability to ignore what you see and focus on what you know, focus on the data you're receiving from the control panel and the, is the key to walking in faith. Hebrews chapter 11.1 1 kind of defines faith for us, so let's start there. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is not a visual, uh, sight-based faith. Faith is, is actually about what you don't see, but you have confidence for. I, I love this story in, uh, um, in 1 Kings. This is during a time of a drought, and the prophet Elisha, uh, he, he has been instructed by the Lord to go and stay in a ravine. And the Lord tells the prophet Elijah, go stay in this ravine. A time of drought is coming. And I'm going to send a raven. The raven will bring you food. And there's a brook in the ravine. So Elijah, he, he goes and he camps out in this ravine. A raven brings him food. And a brook brings him water. Well, because of the drought, the brook dries up. And then the word of the Lord came. And the Lord told Elijah, I want you to go find this widow woman. Uh, in town, 
and she's going to feed you and give you something to drink. And that's where we pick up on the story in 1 Kings 17, verse 9. The Lord says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was uh, there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and said, oh, and bring me, uh, uh, please, a piece of bread. As surely the Lord uh, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil, olive oil, in a jug. I'm, I'm actually here gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And Elijah said to her, well, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. I don't know about you. I'm like, Elijah, you didn't hear her. (laughs) She said, I'm gathering a few sticks to bake one more loaf of bread to feed myself and my son It's the last we have because of the drought and the famine. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And he says, well, make it for me, and then make you some. I'm like, Elijah, you didn't hear (laughs) She doesn't have enough. She does not have enough. But here's what happens. He says, bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, uh, the, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the, day of the, until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family. Notice it, before it was son and now it's family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord Elijah had spoken. So he goes to this widowed woman who's making her last meal, and then they're going to wait and die. They have no food. There's a famine. He says, make it for me, and then your flour and your oil will never run out until God sends rain. Crazy story. I think the craziest thing is the widowed woman. That she took him at his word. She says, you heard from God? Well then, so be it. And she did it. And the miracle of faith to respond to what God said versus what you see. I don't know about you, but if someone came to me and said, I, give it to me, Give me your last $100, and I promise you your bank account will never run out. I'd be like, you're nuts, dude. I don't know you. Uh, you're not, you're not, you're not going to have like, like Because we see it. This is the last. I only have a little flour and a little oil. You're out of your mind. So how do you do a lot 
when all you have is a little? How do you do a lot when all you have is a little? Faith. Faith. Because actually, when it's not enough and you just have a little flour and a little oil, when it's not enough, you have to remember that God is enough. If God is enough, that if you have a little, then a little is enough. If you have a lot and you don't have God, I will tell you, you don't have enough. If you store up for yourself all the riches of the world, but you don't have God, it's not enough. It's not enough to get you into eternity in heaven. It's not enough for the forgiveness of sin. It's not enough to give purpose to your life. But if all you have is a little, but you have a little and you have God, then God is enough. If you have nothing, but you have God, I want you to know that God is enough. If I never live in a big house, if I never drive a nice car, if I, if I work until I'm dead because I can't retire, but I have God, then God was still enough. He was still enough. So how do you do a lot when all you have is a little? Faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, assurance about we, what we do not see. And I think that many times as followers of Jesus, we... we we become absent-minded about the, the, the core value of Christianity is that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. We see on a different level because we don't see what we see. We see what we know. We see what God says. We respond to what he says, not to what we see. So as a follower of Jesus, we, we, we now can rise above the difficulties of the life we face when all we have is a little flour and a little oil, but we have God, then it's enough. A little is enough because God is enough. So I want to encourage us today. The first thing I want to encourage us with is I want to encourage you to take a leap of faith a leap of faith. A leap of faith is to jump not knowing what's on the other side. When my son Joel was much younger, he's, he just turned 15. Uh, he and his twin brother just turned 15 last Sunday. When he was little, I was trying to get, up, get him to build up enough courage to jump off the edge of the pool into the deep end where I could stand, but he could not. And he was anxious, and, his, and I remember his little toes just gripping the edge of the pool. And, and I'm saying, okay, buddy, jump! And he'd do one of these. I'm like, okay, listen, look, look at Dad. I am going to catch you, so jump. And he's, the little, little toes just grabbing the edge of the pool and, and just trying to, just trying to, get the courage to do something he's never done before, to leave the, the, the firm, the, the structure and what's familiar in the, 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 the sidewalk of the pool, it's stable and what's over there is unknown, but he does know I can't touch and I have to rely on the strength and the word of my father that he will catch me, he won't let me drown because if I take this leap without him, I drown. But with my father standing there, he says he's got this under his control. He says he'll catch me. And you know why I said I'd catch him? Because I know I would. This, this little five-year-old kid was, was of, of no worry of me that I couldn't catch him. And I gave him my word I will catch you. 
and yet somehow you got to conquer that thing in your mind of exploring the unknown and, and tr- the, the trade of certainty for uncertainty. And then ultimately, I was beginning to grow a little bit annoyed. I'm like, come on, man. Like, we've been standing here forever now. Just jump. I'm going to catch you. I will not let you f- drown. And then he would say, you're going to catch me, right? I'm going to catch you. You're going to catch me, right? I'm going, listen, me, catch, you, jump. Okay, all right, Dad. You're going to catch me, right? And, I, and, and I'm, in that moment, I'm like, I have done this to the Lord. Thank God that God is a God of patience and mercy and grace. Come on, Devin, I want you to go. I want you to, I want you to jump in. Take that leap of faith. Okay, you're going to catch me, right? Because what I see out there is impossibility. I couldn't do that. Come on, Devin, I've called you, and I'm going to carry you. I don't know. This feels safe right here. I'm, I can, I'm certain that this holds me. How am I certain that you'll hold me? I guess you'll just have to jump. Because that's faith. That's a leap of faith. And so Joel obviously drowned that day. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Joel took the leap, and I caught him. And he came up out of the water, and he said, I did it. I said, yes, you did. And God always lets us know, you did do it. Of course, he did the heavy work. You did do it. And many of us are standing on the ledge of possibility looking to that dream, looking to that call of God in the realm of impossibility. And there, there's a father saying, take the leap. I will catch you. And we look back and say, are you sure? Are we sure? If, if I could catch a five-year-old, how much more so can your heavenly father carry you into the realm of impossibility? Matthew 17 says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move. Nothing, help me New Life Church, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. So faith is the gap between our feet leaving the ground and landing in the arms of our Father. It's that in-between that we're really concerned about. When my feet leave certainty and I'm in uncertainty, will you catch me? A step of faith. It's the gap between. But what I want you to know today, and I only know this because God said this, And because I have watched time and time again that God is faithful to this in my life, and I've watched him be faithful in the lives of other people, that if you move out from where you are, God will move the obstacles to where you're going. But here's the thing. You have to move. You have to leap 
from uncertain from certainty into what is uncertain with faith with confidence in the hope in the evidence of faith in the unseen in what is unknown what seems unsafe but if god is calling you to it it will happen i have total confidence to tell my son joel i will catch you because i knew i would and god's saying come on son and daughter Take that step of faith. Come into the unknown. And if you're willing to move from where you are, God will be willing to move the obstacles to where you're going. Because what we see is obstacles. We say, are you serious? I don't think you understand that that's impossible, God. I don't think you understand the obstacles that would be in the way of me achieving that. I don't think you understand just how difficult that person is. I don't think you understand what it's like to work with them. I don't think you understand what it's like to be married to them. I don't think you understand what it's like to be a dad. Or what it's like to be a mom. I don't think you know what it's like to be stressed. But if you're willing to take that step of faith, God will move the obstacles to where you're going. It takes the faith the God-sized faith of a mustard seed to say, move mountain, and it will be moved. Why? Because the strength to move the mountain isn't on you. It's on him. And he's saying, I'll catch you. Take the leap of faith. Take the leap of faith. Number two, faith requires trust. Because if you put yourself on the ledge of that pool, toes gripping the edge and your father says I'll catch you are you sure I'll catch you no no worries easy good is done are you sure at one point when the feet leave the edge of that pool it's because there's something in you that says that has a trust value that you'll catch me and here's the thing if you will start to take small steps of faith God will start to show you how faithful he is He'll show you, see, if I was faithful in that, I'll be faithful in this. That's why when God, when God calls my family and I to go, do, to go do just unreasonable things, we look back on our lives and say, he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. He was faithful then, and then, and then, he saved my kid's life. He saved my wife's life on two occasions. He provided a way when there didn't seem to be a way. When it looked like when God was calling us to a ministry assignment in Indianapolis and we were trying to figure out how to live there and we got a mortgage and then the, the, the thing came back, we realized we couldn't afford it. And the same day we got the call from the, the loan officer, you can't afford this, I got a letter in the mail from that was $10,000. I said, what if I put 10000 down? Well, then you're good. I don't know. I had no idea that money was on his way. I had even no idea that money was mine. But God provided every way. And he was faithful then. He'll be faithful now. And every small step of faith you take, and you begin to see and you, that God comes through on his word, the trust factor begins to increase. And God's just saying, okay, now guess what? I want you to jump, and I'm going to catch you. And something in you says, I'm jumping right now. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Faith requires trust. Trust in God. God-sized faith doesn't limit itself to the possible. God-sized faith embraces the impossible. 
by placing our trust in God's plan, we allow ourselves to step beyond the limitations, beyond the comfort zones, beyond what is certain, and to strive for greatness. Faith requires trust. It's not on the screen, but Proverbs 3, 5, you, you probably know it well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean upon, uh, 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 trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your what? Your paths straight. What do you do on paths? You take steps. Steps of faith. Faith requires trust. And what I want you to know today or remind you of is this simple thought, is that God is worthy of your trust. In other words, he is trustworthy because when he says, I'll catch you, he catches you. When he says, I'll provide, he will provide. When he says, take a step and I'll place your footing, he does. And, and we have to sometimes remind ourselves he is trustworthy because I remember when things looked grim. I remember there was a day I just had a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. But by faith, God, God is worthy of your trust. Do you think that widowed woman 10 years later ever doubted God again? And yet, we encounter the miraculous every day. We're not aware of it or we choose to, or we forget it. We become naive to it. But God is providing. God is faithful. And we begin to just whine and mope about our lives. And we've, I think we need to remember how worthy God is of our trust. Worthy of our trust. He's trustworthy. And if you don't feel that now, I want you to think back to how God has marked your life. Because here's the thing, if God never provides me another dollar, another healing, another miracle, but God still saved my soul from the pit of hell, he's still worthy. If he doesn't answer another one of my selfish prayers, he's still trustworthy because he chose to cancel my debt of sin and give me eternity, eternity in heaven. I was destined for damnation in hell. I was dark and destitute and caught up in my ways. He did that. And he doesn't have to answer another one of my prayers again. He's still worthy of my trust and worthy of a life to serve. And if we can remember that, guess what? It's actually so much more than that, isn't it? Because he has more promises for our life. All his promises are yes and amen. And then when I'm in the middle when my feet left the edge and I haven't yet fallen into the security of his arms and I'm in limbo, remember, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He is worthy of my trust. God is worthy of your trust. And the last thing I want to encourage you with is faith is not a feeling. Your toes grip the edge of the ledge, and he says, jump. You won't feel like it. When God says, I want you to forgive them, you won't feel like it. But God, they were wrong, and I was right. I know. They hurt me, 
and they're getting away with it. I know. But you need to forgive them. I don't feel like it. Faith is not a feeling. If we always waited till we felt it, we would never leave the edge of the pool. If we always waited till we felt like it, you would not get to where God wants you to be. You won't see the miraculous in your life. You won't see dreams fulfilled. It takes faith, and faith is not a feeling. But it is confidence, assurance in what we don't see. We like the base feeling off of what we see. Okay, I see, Elijah, I see that I do have enough flour and oil to make you some bread too. To have a seat, let's make a meal of it. No. Faith was, I see I don't have enough, but I will respond to the word of God anyway. Because God is enough. Faith is not a feeling. Because here's the thing, feelings may end, but faith always endures. Feelings may end, faith endures. This is why marriages have to be faithful. Because it's not a feeling, but it's meant to endure. Feelings may end. Faith endures. And feelings change, and feelings come, and feelings go. You may feel one way one day, a different way another day. Faithfulness matters. Keep taking steps of faith. And I don't know who this is for today. Maybe you're on the edge of possibility, looking into impossibility, and God is calling you to go into from, from certainty to uncertainty. But I want you to know today that faith endures. It's not a feeling. And if, and if all you have is a little, but you have God, God is always enough. God is always enough. And he is worthy of your trust. Would you stand with me this morning as we bring this to your conclusion. My hope today, my prayer all week long is that this morning that somebody would leave this service today with a fire burning bright again. That maybe you felt like the flame is, is running low, but something in you would be burning again and say yes to the, 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 the impossibilities that God has called you to. Saying yes to letting faith overcome feelings. So God, I just pray today that right now in this place, faith would rise again. Faith for the impossible. Faith to see what only can be achieved with you will happen. And when all we have is a little, I just have a little bit of flour and a little jug of oil, but faith to believe for something big. Someone today needs to jump off the ledge. Someone today needs to take a step of faith into the impossibilities and that you will taste and see that God is trustworthy of his word. Let faith arise. May increase in Jesus' name.